this is Kelly Carlin, and welcome to Waking from the American Dream. Hello, everyone. Welcome. It is July 30th, 2020. (laughs) If this podcast has made it into a time capsule by any chance, which I'm guessing the internet just will be one long time capsule. You will know that this is the middle of the summer of the COVID-19 pandemic. Things have changed. Life is different. Welcome, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm welcoming myself back to the podcast because, well... I was just looking and saw that I haven't been here in quite a while. It was April of 2019 that I last did an episode. Had some other work to do, I guess. Had some other things to live for a while. But I'm back now. And my throat is scratchy for some reason. Always is these days when I talk. Not quite sure what that's about. So... It's nice to be back. It's nice to even, I guess, want to be here. I've clearly been away for a while, needed to pull back, needed to go focus on some other things. And then certainly since March, have been in an extremely introverted state of mind Um, because we are literally all being (laughs) asked to be in an introverted state of being actually. I wanted to come back and do some new episodes because I am feeling like I am, I don't know, ready to be in the world differently, ready to occupy some new space within myself out in the world differently. I mean, this has always been my process, as you guys know. Those of you who have followed along here in the podcast and certainly followed along, whether it's online or whatever, you know that I'm a person who looks inward a lot and is always figuring out how to move about the world while staying connected deeply to myself. And because of the mostly stay-at-home type of orders here in Los Angeles and California, it's not as locked down as it was. But my husband and I are certainly acting like it is. I mean, we don't really do much of anything. Um, And so we are sheltering in place. It's such an interesting phrase, that sheltering in place that belonging, that sheltering that we all do in place, that sheltering in place within our own minds, within our own consciousness, how we move about throughout the, the day in these bodies, right? And a, a lot, I think, of what we all struggle with is... Do we feel sheltered? Do we feel comfortable in this body, in this place, in this mind? Do we feel safe here? 
is there a safe harbor here within myself? Man, right? I mean, that's the whole gig. I mean, I look back on my life and I think, yeah, that's been my whole gig is like finding increasingly amounts of sense of sheltering and safety within my own mind and body and in the world too, of course, right? So it kind of extends out like a big kind of bubble around us, right? What is our safety? And now with the pandemic, holy shit. <laughs> it's like front and center. Uh, you know, we're dealing with our mortality. We're dealing with a species level threat. So what is the sense of sheltering? Where are we finding shelter? And for those who are inside of households where they don't feel sheltered or seen or heard or safe physically or emotionally, I send my heart out to you and hope that there is some way in which you do have a relationship with someone or something that allows you to feel sheltered. And that even in these difficult times, that you increase your resourcefulness, the resources that give you a sense of shelter. I'm going to talk about some things today that I'm sure is pretty obvious to you, or maybe not, but maybe it sparks something inside of you. I'm going to talk about what I found during this pandemic time. And it's July, right? And we've been basically locked down here since mid-March. So it's, you know, it feels like about five months of this, which is so strange. It's just becoming clear to me, first of all, I, like I went out today to one of my little favorite local restaurants, supporting them by getting some food to go and and just seeing how we're now all acting and everything. And even though it was been doing this for five months it's really hitting me now like how fucking strange it all is <laughs> it's so strange it's so so strange but there are also some beautiful gifts here and so as I go through my own kind of list of the gifts um, I hope that this kind of opens up a little bit of a portal for you to um, see the gifts that this has brought to you. One of the things that I've noticed is that I, f I feel like there's this, there's always been this natural rhythm inside of me, like the rhythm, I, and I think it's between introversion and extroversion, or, and what does that mean? Introversion, extroversion, it means kind of coming back to myself versus moving out into the world, you know, and that can be a literal physical thing or just a mental kind of perspective. So there's this rhythm between introversion and extroversion and um, on the Myers-Briggs test, um, if you look it up online, you'll see what that is. There's, a, they ask about, and there's a kind of a, one of the qualities they look for is that your balance between introversion and extroversion. Mine has always been 50-50. But, you know, this organic rhythm of ourselves that from day one when we come out of the womb is 
probably sheltered for a little while, like, you know, the baby's body, your body, your demands are your demands, right? You're going to, you want to eat when you want, you're hungry, you're going to sleep when you're tired, and you're going to shit and piss whenever your body feels like it. And then you're going to be activated and, and, and kind of interacting with the environment too, right? Taking in the environment and relating to it and certainly relating to your caregivers. But almost from day one, um, there's no organic natural rhythm, right? We're kind of shoved into um, what's, depending on our caregiver, how attuned they are to our needs. But no matter what, our needs are going to be cut off. They, they're not going to be there right away, right? Like the tit isn't going to show up right away. This is a, a psychological concept they call the good enough mother, where you get enough of this. You get enough of your needs met at the right moment in those critical first, you know, I don't know, probably three, six, nine, 12, 15 months, whatever it is, um, <clears throat> so that you have a, a sense of your own self that you're grounded in your own experience and that you're health, health, healthfully attached to others around you. But our rhythm is right away kind of hijacked by the needs of the world too, right? We're immediately in relationship with it. You know, we don't get to do everything we want to do right away. And then certainly, you know, as we get older and older, boy, that just really gets limited more and more and more. And so what I've been finding by the world receding in many ways and my inner voices of the world receding also I'm noticing we'll talk about that separately but I am noticing a realignment of rhythm that there's some sort of organ organicity organic way of being with the rhythms of my life and the rhythms of my introversion and my extroversion and my quiet time versus my work time, my taking in time, filling up the well versus my expression time, whether it's through creativity or work, <clears throat> relational time, socializing versus being alone. I live with my husband. It's just the two of us here. So this is really beautiful, subtle realignment. And because I work from home already and mostly work online, um, there's no dis major disruption in that way. Now for my husband, he's a TV camera operator. He's not worked since March. and uh, But he's a man who loves to keep busy. So he's found his own way of keeping busy and his own natural rhythm. Um, and his, his own new way of being uh, with all of that. And I know for some of you, I mean, parents, oh my Lord, my, my just my, my heart goes out to you and the kids and just how, I mean, this is part of the disruption of it all, right? Watching how our society had this pretty worked out more or less, right? Kids go to school, which is important, not just for the learning, but the socializing. Like this is, we are social creatures and this is how we learn how to be human. So the essentialness of being around other human bodies, uh, just being in the space together, the, the 
you know, both the verbal and nonverbal communication that goes with that, these little bodies learning all of that, and parents, however you work and function, whether you work at home and you take care of a home or you work out in the world or whatever it is, and then these two worlds coming crashing together. So the disruption of that rhythm, right? This really, really institutionalized rhythms that we had where we, you know, everyone gets up in the morning, everyone leaves the house for the most part, and then everyone comes back and, you know, we have dinner and evening and we all get up and start again. So the disruption of that with, you know, just the how society, the literal infrastructure of society has changed so much. So my heart really goes out to the disruption of your own rhythm and how I'm guessing challenging it must be to find your own rhythm inside of this new time. And yet, what an incredible opportunity, right? To find new ways of being with each other, new ways of being with work, new ways of being with your kids, new ways of the kids being with learning. We're all making it up as we go along, as we always have been, by the way. <laughs> so, so yeah, so this rhythm thing. So I, I just want to invite you, because that's kind of what I do, right? I talk about myself, and then it's like, well, let's turn, turn it all inward, you know? So pause the podcast if you want. Take a few minutes to ponder that. What is your rhythm? How do you how would you love your rhythm to be? How is it working out? What are you finding around all this? The other thing I have discovered is the less is enough stance also that a lot of what used to fill my head were things that I think I've just been taught to want to do or think that's important um, or believe that should be on my responsibility list or I should be taking care of that. A lot of shoulds, basically, I guess is what I'm saying. I've really seen that there's a lot less shoulds showing up. It's a shouldless space. (laughs) And how wonderful that is, really. How lovely that is, that it is a shouldless space. And so I hope that in some way you're experiencing that too. And what I really want to give you permission for is that we're in such a unique, chaotic weirdness that I want to give you permission. Like, you know, if I could be like, Uh, the voice of God here for a moment or the voice of the goddess here for a moment. I want to give you permission during this time to just like, like, just like rip the should list up or at least rip it in half. (laughs) If you could do that. Um, Because one thing I do know is that physiologically through the mind body connection through psyche, human psyche, You know, human psyche isn't just this individual thing. Like, it's not just our own little minds. There is this collective aspect to it. And, you know, Jung, Carl Jung talked about it as the collective unconscious. This is where myths and archetypes and story and things like that come from. Joseph Campbell talked a lot about it, too. So there's this 
there's this collective consciousness. There is this way in which we are all connected together through the invisibility of being. There's this other bandwidth going on. And so as a species right now, we, since the beginning of the year, when we first learned about this virus and that the potential of the threat of an epidemic, and then it turned into the word pandemic, and now it's very much here. But we have been for five months at least on a species level inside of our collective unconscious on red fucking alert. And so I just want to let you know that your some part of your mind, your unconscious mind, is really occupied with that. And that's why your bandwidth feels narrowed and why you can't do as much or you're more tired or you're more irritated or you're more terrified or you feel like you're maybe drinking more, um, you know, using more crutches to get through the day, all of that. Whatever you're feeling, everything you're feeling right now, know that it is in reaction to this species level threat. So these shoulds, these cultural shoulds and these kind of baked in family of origin shoulds that we all carry around, these like voices, um, what Freud would have called the superego, right? The voice of kind of the parental voice or the one that tells you, um, I'm not a Catholic. I was not raised Catholic, but my dad was. So I always picture like the big Catholic nun with the big stick, like whoever your kind of drill sergeant is, I guess, that should, the shouldster. Um, Now is the time. It's such an incredible opportunity. (laughs) I just have to give you just this full permission again to just rip up the should list. Because it doesn't fucking matter, folks. All those little shoulds, um, first of all, probably 70% 70 of them you can't do right now because you literally can't do them because you're not allowed to go do them. And, um, And they may be full of shit already. And when we are kind of preoccupied with the should list, I believe that what we're really here to do, what we're really here to express how we're really supposed to live into this life is being um, kind of crowded out. And so I know that this opportunity of the pandemic, more than anything else, as a person who does work with people to like, you know, have them step into full expression and full power and take their throne, um, I want to say that I really believe this is a great opportunity to shake shit up because, well, we're seeing uh, shit is being shaken (laughs) on a cultural level, big time. So, so, and, and and it may feel like, oh my God, I can't shake anything up. I'm so terrified. I just need to like do what I do and hang on to what I hang on to. Uh, But, you know, who we were in the past and what our priorities were in the past uh, probably wasn't working all the time for us. So I want to invite you into an even more potent and powerful foundation of self. And one of the ways to do that is to cut the should list in half or just tear it up. Trees and birds. 
you know, for those of us who live in cities, uh, we don't get a ton of nature. And for those of you who live in the rural areas or grow or live up against more wildness or wilderness, I bow to you. <laughs> I crave it so deeply. But I live in the middle of uh, Los Angeles. I'm lucky I live a couple miles from the beach. Um, I have a lot of greenery in my backyard and stuff. But it has been a really beautiful spring summer with trees and birds and just watching that and being even closer to it and just really on my walks being more in relationship with the plantings of people's yards and trees and things and the birds the birds have been great the hummingbirds are just so fun around here and um i watch them all the time and so just curious like for you to just take pause and like I know a lot of people have been talking about birds. Like, are there more birds? I'm hearing more bird song. And people are saying, well, it might be because there's a little left traffic, but also because I think we're literally are, and I said the word literally, but we are just able to have a little more bandwidth to see the birds, which is wonderful. The other thing too is that I am noticing what I do miss, even though I've in some ways feeling like I've been in sanctuary and retreat and it's been lovely and I've been busy too. I mean, I've been working, but I'm starting to crave some things that we just can't have. And it's mostly going to places where lots of humans get together. Um, music venues, certainly uh, being in an audience listening to music or listening to stories together. Um, I don't go out to comedy clubs a lot, but that experience, of course, of getting to laugh together, that collective experience. You know, it's so funny being here in America and how there's this rugged individualism, right? That's part of our archetypal field here in this country and we want to pretend that that is true and in some ways we are given permission to do that there's a lot of countries where you know the the tall stock gets uh cut you know the the tall stock of corn or wheat or whatever gets cut um I've heard that like about Australia, like you don't stick out too much, you know, but here in America, you are um, almost, what's the word, um, trained <laughs> to stick out. Like exceptionalism is some way of being for us that is a right, a, a right you know, um, and there's something to the the energy of exceptionalism. It's an important thing. Um, and yet it ain't the whole goddamn cake either. Because there is this thing about being a part of something. Disappearing into the collective. Being a part of an audience that is... I remember going to a Bruce Springsteen concert and um, I was not 
I'm not a huge, huge fan of Bruce. I love him, but I don't know like all the words to his songs. My husband does. Um, you know, I'm not one of those people. In high school, I didn't really get it. I was in high school in the late 70s. You know, hits on the radio, stuff like that. But I was not one of those people. Grew up in L.A. But the, the pleasure I got at a Bruce Springsteen concert, the one and only one I've been to, was the whole, not the whole time, but a lot of the time watching the audience sing all of it back to Bruce and the, and the band and seeing that experience, you know, singing together. Oh my God, I miss, I miss my parties here that we used to have a lot of from like 2009 to like 2017. We had a lot of parties those years full of comics and creatives and lots of musicians and a lot of music being played in this very space I'm sitting right now. And a lot of sing-alongs. We would do sing-alongs. That would be our thing. I miss that. I miss harmonizing. And that brings me to this interdependence piece, which was a term that I first learned 23 years ago when I went to a Thich Nhat Hanh retreat, my first Buddhist retreat, and he talked about it as interbeing. And uh, first it was just this kind of concept of like interbeing, interdependence, like, oh yeah. But then really him explaining about it through nature, like this is how ecosystems work. And this is how humans work because humans are just part of nature. And really seeing the interdependence now of our humanity. You know, that's the whole thing with wearing masks is it's an acknowledgement that there's this invisible virus that is part of nature, um, is a threat to our species, and that we are all in it together. And that part of of protecting each other and protecting ourselves, they find now too, that if you do get it, when you wear masks, you get a, a lot less of a viral load. So it means you'll probably be less sick, hopefully. Um, but that we are so interdependent. And then you, you, know, you look at the food systems and you look at restaurants, you look at every single bit of business. Um, I, you know, I, I knew that the, inter, the internet and the globalization of business was another great example of our interdependence coming front and center for us to look at. And there's obviously positives and negatives to all of that, but really seeing it now, right? That how the internet is keeping us connected and this technology, much of it, like Zoom and places like that are keeping us interconnected and how globalization of business, first of all, we've paid a price for it on many, many levels. Um, and yet it is a reality, but then also how the supply chain has been cut off because of that. So it's just, it's just, we're seeing it right in front of us. And I, I love that. I love when the invisible part of our existence becomes visible to us. I think that's like one of my biggest joys when the invisible becomes visible. What else do I want to talk about here? Um, there's this great quote, uh, one of the, so it's just some ways that I've been surviving 
And I had a really hard time. My, my anxiety came back really, really badly in March and April and May. Um, I used to have panic disorder a million years ago, and I actually had a panic attack. And um, I could I stopped smoking pot because the um, the sativa was just whatever little bit of paranoia it kind of activates in one per, in, in a person. It just hit my anxiety up a lot. And then I went into a very dark depression also. So I've been, you know, we've we've all been using things to kind of survive. And I've been through the gamut, you know, drinking and sleeping and <laughs> and ignoring things. Um, jigsaw puzzling, which I'll, I want to talk about before we end here. But uh, one of the things I've been doing is, uh, as you many of you might know, or if you're new to this podcast, by the way, welcome. Probably should have welcomed you before, but, you know. I don't quite do things right. <laughs> uh, I've been uh, David White, the poet, and that's W H Y T E, has been doing these Sundays um, like every other month. I think he did like April, May, and then he's done July, and then he's going to do September. And he does three Sundays in a row, and he tells some of his amazing stories and reads some of his poetry. And, He's someone I really walk the path with because he talks a lot about uh, the conversation we're in with life. And he talks a lot about this invisibles and the the visible versus the invisibles and all that stuff. And just very potent, beautiful stuff. I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with him. Uh, but he brought up a quote, and I was just going through my journal here, kind of picking out some things to talk about. And he, he brought up this Zen quote, um, that the self advances and confirms the 10,000 things. Um, and that's called delusion. But when the self, but when the 10,000 things advance and confirm the self, it's called enlightenment. And that's uh, by an old Zen master, Dojin Zenji. So I'll read it again, which is that when the self advances and confirms the 10,000 things, it is called delusion. But when the 10,000 things advance and confirm the self, it is called enlightenment. And really what that is talking about is the difference between what we would call logos and eros in my depth psychology world. And it's very much what I've been living into, which is the eros part, which is the relational part, which is allowing life itself on its terms to, to host that, to host life on its terms, um, whether it's nature or a dream figure or an emotion or a pandemic. Um, and that the other way, when we name the 10,000 things, that is more of the logos, that is the more of the structure, the will, um, the self-exerting itself. Uh, the ego, really. That's why in the Zen terms, it's considered delusion. Whereas when we are more in an interdependent relationship with the things, the 10,000 things. And the 10,000 things, what is that? It's everything. Uh, they call it the 10,000 things. But it is everything that which is, um, has a, 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 not even a form, but is a thing. 
<laughs> a thing that we could name normally. And we usually make everything have a name, right? That's the naming of everything. But when we let things come to us without a name, and we let it just be what it is. So an example being, maybe you uh, know the names of birds, right? Oh, that's a hummingbird, right? Or that's a, that's a bluebird, or that's a scrub, that's a, a scrub jay, or, or whatever, a cardinal. Um, you know, you're kind of putting it in a category, but when this particular hummingbird comes to you and hovers in front of you or blue jay comes and visits in your backyard, this particular one comes and you relate to it differently. You're now having a relationship with the thing and you're letting the thing be what it is before the naming or without the naming. And I just bring that up because I really do believe that there's a dance always between these two ways of being, between the eros, which is just to be in relationship and, and letting the, um, the energy of the thing, and I know that's kind of a really esoteric way of saying it, but the beingness of it, oh, like that's cleared, up, cleared it up, Kelly, that's really great, uh, versus the wanting to categorize it and capture it. I think you're getting the idea of what I'm talking about. And like the introversion and the extroversion dance that we all do in the rhythm, this is another rhythm, the rhythm between Eros and Logos. You know, Eros can be experienced inside of you. And Eros always, people always think of, well, that means love and passion and and that, and yes, that is one way of defining it, but it also is like the life force itself. And I think a lot about creativity. You know, the difference between having an idea of what you want to create and moving towards it versus just picking up a pen and seeing what emerges out of the pen or the paintbrush or the movement of the body and dance, what's coming just emerging and the creative process is really both an eros and a logos process. There's some eros, there's a little logos, it's a dance between the two. And, and too much of one and too much of the other isn't good either. But I just, I see this time, this pandemic time, as a really beautiful opening to invite in and let the 10,000 things confirm us. To come and shape us. To let ourselves be seen by the tree. Who are we when we stand in front of tree versus when we stand in front of ocean? What does it feel like inside your body? when you stand in front of your child versus when you stand in front of a TV? What's going on for you? What parts of you come alive? What parts of you go to sleep? Just noticing that. Powerful medicine, people. Powerful medicine. All right. I'm going to save my jigsaw puzzle stuff for next time because I think it's a great metaphor 
And we'll talk more about that then. And how do I want to leave you today? Well, first of all, I just want to welcome you all here to the space. And thank you for inviting me into your home or your car or your mind. I appreciate the chance to get to occupy a bit of time and space with you. I'm honored by that. And uh, there will be more here. Some of my plans for the podcast during this incarnation of the podcast is to invite some old friends back on to have new conversations, to invite some people that I've never brought here before, but people I've been working with deeply the last two years, some depth psychologists, some other people uh, to talk about all sorts of things. And, uh, And it's a place for me to just show up in the world and to promote what I'm doing also. I'm doing stuff in the world. I'm running a program. It's a coaching program. It's called Women on the Verge. You can find out about it if you're interested at womenontheverge.coaching.com. I'm on Twitter at Kelly underscore Carlin. I'm on Instagram. Kelly is here or Kelly Carlin is here, I believe is my username there. I am no longer on Facebook. That is one thing that has changed since we last met. I left last September and I've never looked back twice. Maybe we'll talk a bit about that next time too. So please be safe. Please bring kindness to those who are struggling If you are struggling, please reach out to someone you know or reach out to a counselor or if you need it, some sort of other kind of hotline. And be well. We will talk soon, probably in about 10 days, I'm guessing. Maybe sooner. (laughs) Who knows? (laughs) And like I said... Thank you for being here. And I want to thank Logan Heftel, who's still here as my producer and engineer, even though we are living in different cities right now. So thank you, Logan, for editing this and putting this together. And namaste, motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs>